tonight I'm talking about marriage. And in talking about marriage, I was like, you know what? Katie said half the things I was going to say and said them better than I would have said them when she talked about dating a couple weeks ago. And Sean has talked about stuff. (laughs) It was really good. And so I was like, what am I going to say? So I figured I'll just tell you all a story. I'll just tell you all a story, my story, and then I'll bring out some scriptures from it and some truths. Because from what I see, if I talk about marriage, I don't want to talk as if I'm talking to a bunch of people who are married or about to get married. Few of y'all are engaged. Some of y'all are in relationships. But if I tried to make it marriage specific, it would miss half the room. So what I'm thinking is, you know what, let me just tell my story. You can glean from that. I'll I'll draw out some truths. And also... Eventually, some of you will get married, and then some of you won't get married. But I wanted to specifically bring up specific truths that would apply to you in regards to making you a better spouse in the future or just a better person if marriage is not in your future. I hope that makes sense. I'm going to say a second prayer because the first prayer was actually for the last thing I talked about, and this next one is for what I'm talking about in the future or these next few minutes. Lord Jesus, our minds are probably all over the place, talking about the nations, (laughs) talking about how women are treated, and now I'm about to talk about my story. Reign it in, Lord God. Help it to make sense. Most of all, Lord, help me to serve people here. Thank you for the words you've given me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. So the beginning of the story is going to start off pretty dark because that's just where my story is. And this is also a part of my story that I don't talk about with many people. You can thank two students. I'm not going to call them out, but you can thank two students for pointing it out to me that I should say this. So I'll bring this up and some of you will be like, ah, dang, I'm, I really didn't know that about you. I hope you don't think uh, too, 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 too much less of me. Um, actually, I don't care what you think of me, but I really hope that you think pretty highly of Jesus at the end of this. So... I bring up Katie, my wife, of eight years now. It doesn't even feel like it. You could have told me it's like four years, and I'd be like, ah, yeah. Eight years, and I still managed to be 21. (laughs) When I met Katie, some of you all are on LTC. I had just gotten out of LTC. I had been a small group leader for four months, and I was a hot mess. A hot mess. I am, I'm in this situation where I've been living a double life for a few months. I've had a small group that I've chased away a good amount of the guys because they realize that I'm kind of a hypocrite. Some of y'all have heard me say this before, but you wonder why I always say this. Well, this is why I always say this. So I'm basically in the situation where I am, I'm sleeping with this one girl. And I'm like trying to think how do I get out of this situation? Because, actually, I I wasn't trying to think that. What I was thinking was, I just don't know how to live this out, this whole Christianity thing. I'd been a small group leader. I had the title. I went through LTC. I knew how to say the right things. But I'm living this double life. I'm a small group leader by day, pretty promiscuous by night. And then there's this other girl who's a Christian who's in Chi Alpha, and she's the first girl that I ever thought, you know what, I probably should go after a girl like this because this is the kind of people that they say that you're supposed to like, you know, as a Christian. So I start pursuing her. 
she's like, hey, you should meet my friends when we go to this Chi Alpha party after Chi Alpha one night. I meet her friends. This is where I meet a girl named Katie Mancius, who is now my wife. I meet her, and I'm like, oh, this girl's fun. Don't think anything of it. We talk a good bit that night. We all hang out. Great night. A few weeks later, I'm at the end of myself. I've been running around with this girl. I'm pursuing this other girl. I'm a small group leader, but I only have a title. My, I suck as a small group leader. And so I'm walking into the cafeteria. Where I go to school, we only had one cafeteria, not like 12. Y'all are very blessed. We had one, and it was bad. So you were stuck. Go into the cafeteria. I get in line, and I'm done. I'm just so done. I get into line, and when I'm getting into line, there's Katie in line. And she looks at me and says, hey, you're Rachel's friend. And then she looks at me, and she's like, oh, no. You don't look so good. And I'm just, she can see it all over my face. And I literally start crying there. I'd never cried in front of a girl like that. I literally start crying. And I said, Katie, I don't know what to do. She's like, what do you mean? said, I'm a small group leader and I have this title, but I'm a fraud. I'm sleeping with so-and-so, who was a friend of hers. I'm trying to pursue so-and-so. And she, this is her, one of her best friends. And everybody thinks all these things about me and Kyle, and when really it's all a lie. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And it was so cool because from where Katie came from, Katie is one of the most obedient people that I've ever seen in my life. She taught me so much about obedience. And she, like, sits me down. She starts talking to me, encouraging me, asking me what truth is, asking me what is this. She just talked to me, and it blew me away. And it blew me away because for the next few months, she just was one of the best friends that I ever had. We were best friends for like, like immediately into the relationship because of the intimacy that, like the vulnerability that I expressed at the beginning, it, we were just deep from the very beginning. But it wasn't a dangerous vulnerability for two reasons. One, there was always vulnerability in community, but it, it wasn't a private vulnerability. It was a safety there. But then another thing about it was, it was about Jesus. She was always pushing me to Jesus. I had never had anyone in a relationship where it was a guy-girl relationship, and it was always about Jesus. She just kept pushing me back to Jesus. I didn't, for me, some of you are all like, this is, I kind of see it. For me, the only thing that I knew was flawed Christianity. When I say flawed Christianity, I came out of a church where there was a scandal in the church, and it ended up in the local news, and it was like the biggest scandal that I've still ever seen in a church. It was a huge church, and it was unbelievable what happened. My, not my parents, but the people who discipled me growing up, they, they basically told me, respected men in the church, it's okay to step out on your wife as long as you do it the right way. I only knew flawed Christianity. I didn't know if I could actually be obedient. I always thought that I would always have some baggage. And then I meet Katie, and Katie models to me obedience to Jesus in a way that I had never seen before. She, she changed my life. 
two things that I want to draw out from this is that as we were friends for a couple of years, she modeled to me what, what it looked like to follow Jesus. But she also helped me to see a couple things. One is something out of Song of Songs. It's in verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 5, and chapter 8, verse 4. And it says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse love until it so desires. I was always on the verge of some bad relationship because I was always trying to arouse love. Because for me, I was trying to show that I, I was trying to find fulfillment through relationships. Through this girl, through having the baddest, you know, that's why I mattered. Or how many girls you hooked up with. That's what I knew. And then I meet Katie, and there's this girl who's just content. Godliness plus contentment is a great game. And she was so content with Jesus. She wasn't chasing after guys. I'd never seen this before. Like my small group leader did it, but I just thought he was weird. And then I get around Katie, and she's encouraging me in the Lord, but she too has this. She was so obedient. Another thing about that, one of the best people I've ever seen at this, I don't know, there you are, Charles. I always brag about Charles. He doesn't even know it. I bragged bragged about you in Oman. Charles spoke to me so much about being content while being single. I could never be content I remember, I remember talking to Charles and being like, oh, are you thinking about dating so-and-so? Maybe. You know, I'm just having fun growing. He would say stuff like this. I'm like, who says this? But that's what he would do because when you're trying to make everything about the next relationship, you just don't see things clearly. And I missed so much. You miss so much when you are trying to awaken love before it's time. You miss hobbies. You miss intimacy with Jesus. You miss just living life and learning about the world. I wasted so much time tra- tra- chasing love. Don't awaken it before it's time. Become someone on your own. I don't know. I think about Jerry Maguire. Anybody ever seen that movie? It's an old movie. He's like, ah, oh, you complete me. That's what we think of love. We think of two broken people coming together and trying to make a whole person. But really, when you have two broken people coming together, you just end up with two broken people. As me and Katie are going along in this relationship, you know, we're friends. We're, she's showing me stuff about Jesus, and, and, and we're growing, and it's, it's cool. But one thing that was so cool about it was another thing she helped me to see is that it doesn't, The world tries to tell us that, oh, this is what you should consider as attractive, or this is what you should should consider as attractive, or this is what you should consider as attractive. And I realized that for so long, I had been eating up what the world had been telling me about what is attractive and what isn't attractive. And I realized I wasn't deciding for myself, who do I think is attractive? What is beautiful to me? Not what does this magazine say, or what do I see on High Street, or what do I see in the club, or what will my friends applaud? Can godliness be attractive to me? 
I don't know. Some of us have to ask ourselves that question. Who tells you what is attractive in this world? Who has told you what to pursue? Are you pursuing what other people are telling you? Are you pursuing? Are you listening to the Lord? I remember when I was praying about whether I should date Katie. And I was like, man, Lord, like, should I date her? And he was like, well, why do you like her? And I was like, oh, well, she's really pretty. She's a different kind of pretty because she's not like, this is, I didn't know how to say this without it sounding bad, but she wasn't a hood rat, you know, and that was what I, that's what I liked, you know, like, that's all I knew. It was like, all right, you know, I, I need that kind of girl, and I don't want to go way into that. You can figure out where I'm trying to say with that, but she was a different kind of pretty. Can I like a girl who appreciates modesty? Another thing she helped me to see, though, and this wasn't just her, this was many people, is that intimacy with Jesus is the key. Intimacy with Jesus is the key. It's the center of everything. If you have a great intimacy with Jesus, that is the best relationship advice you will ever get. That alone. Because it will clear up everything else. And it will always kind of keep you on the right course. No man can bear the weight of your worship. Jesus has to be your integration point. No man can bear the weight of your worship. No one can be the most important thing to you. If they are, you will crush them. If you don't crush them while you're dating, which you probably won't because dating is really easy. Sorry I said it, but it is. But marriage, that's where the crushing will happen. Dating is really easy. A great example for why dating is easy, Damani's not here, but Jeff is here. Damani and Jeff, y'all didn't know this, years ago were very good friends. They're pretty good friends still, but they were very good friends. And they said, hey, the best idea ever is for us to, for us to go and move in together. So they go and move in together, and then they realize six, like six months in that they actually hate each other. And it literally was about a year before they started talking again because they hated each other so much for moving in together. Why do, what does this have to do with this? Because that's what it's like getting married, except amplified. You see all of this person. When you get out of the house, you, can, you like dress up, you get all your stuff together, you know not to act a fool in public. But when you get home and you're relaxed, people see who you really are, your relaxed self. And they realize how difficult you may be. And you realize how difficult they may be. Marriage is fun. It's like... Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. But it, it's amplified. What I'm trying to say is when you, when you in, a, in a relationship, a dating relationship, everything is, it just kind of falls into place. If it's, it, it just does. But when you get married, all of those things about you, those things where you put too much weight in certain people's opinion or you have trust issues, bitterness issues that stuff comes out and it comes out in a real way and it has to get dealt with if jesus is the sinner then he can steady the boat of both of your personalities but if he's not the sinner it's gonna be hard there's a guy we like john owen very old dude <laughs> he said be killing sin or sin will be killing you when Katie and I got married, 
one thing that we always kept before us was the fact that a divorce is very possible in our marriage. I know it sounds bad in a Christian setting, you know, but it's just true. You got to accept that. Because if you don't accept that, then you'll become laxed. And if you become laxed, then you'll start letting yourself be surprised. And you start letting yourself be surprised. Then you start letting yourself get offended. And when you get offended, then that's when you start cutting things off and saying, you know what, I'm done with this. We knew that if we didn't work at our marriage, our relationship, eventually, eventually we could get a divorce. And so we've always kept it before us that that's, that that's possible. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Take seriously the fact that you have to be intentional with your relationships. Today, how does that affect you? When you get frustrated with someone, do you like cut them off completely and say, I'm done with you? Or do you persevere with them? Do you put up with them? Do you bear with them? If you, cut, if you cut it off with people when they make you mad, that's going to come out later. You got to deal with that today. I hope that makes sense. I can't go way into that, but I just hope it makes sense. Another thing, we kept the four C's before us all the time. And this is me looking back. After we're together, like what do we do? We keep the four C's before us. Common understanding, constant forgiveness, common unselfishness, Constant commitment. You will argue. You will. You will argue. You'll disagree. You'll hurt one another because you're human beings with the best intentions. I've, I've like literally tried to get Katie flowers and do like really nice things and ended up hurting her because I didn't realize that I was doing something else like related to it. Like because of our limited mental abilities we will never know everything that we ought to do in order to make someone feel loved so just by mistake sometimes you do things and that's okay but that's why every relationship needs constant forgiveness these are things that you can practice today constant unselfishness i wake up in the morning and i try to think hey how can i serve katie before i even start my day before i even go about work or anything else because when i start the day serving her then I don't go through the day looking for her to serve me. I just think differently. Ask yourself, how, how could you serve your roommates? How could you serve your friends? How can you serve someone early on today? How can you make serving a practice in your marriage? Jesus said, anyone who wants to be great among you must be a slave of all. He says servant of all, but Sean gave me a good lecture yesterday and said that that word actually means slave. So I use the word slave. But anybody who wants to be great must be a great servant. In marriage, you many times see this. You see people where they're in a relationship and they have somebody kind of taking care of them hand and foot in a sense. And so they quit serving and it becomes a very ugly relationship. That's the danger of all love-based relationships. It becomes one-sided, imbalanced. I was going to have a picture of a dude who had like one arm too big and, you know, the other one, he didn't work out, but I didn't do that. But... You have to fight against that with your friends. Do you look for them to serve you all the time? To listen to you and what you have to say, what you're dealing with? Or do you ask them questions? Are you intentional with them? These are things you can do today. No, I'm done. I had to stop. 
I knew I had a certain amount of time, so I'm done. I got like six more things, but we're done. I only have one more thing, so I'm not done. (laughs) When it comes to marriage, some of y'all have heard me use some really creepy language when I talk about Jesus, because I talk about him as like my lover, and I talk about like how we should have this like great affection towards him. You hear other Christians talk about Jesus in this very intimate way. It is very creepy if you think of it in a physical sense. It's very normal and very um, satisfying when you see it as it should be seen from a spiritual sense. This idea of Jesus being our bridegroom and us being his bride. In Psalms 27.4, King David says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after And then I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty and to inquire in his temple. In John chapter 2, there's a story. It's the story of Jesus' first miracle. He's with his disciples, and he's at a wedding. And during this wedding, wedding, the wedding guests, they run out of wine Jesus' mother runs up to him and says, hey, do something. And then Jesus gets frustrated as a mother, and he says, hey, woman, it's not my time. What, what would you have me do? It's not my time. Sounds super disrespectful. Most commentators agree. Jesus wasn't thinking about that wedding and his response to her. He was thinking about another wedding. He was thinking about the wedding that he will have with us. When you're at a wedding, what happens? You see all this stuff going on, and if you're single, what are you dreaming about? You're dreaming about your future wedding. In the end, to Jesus, you are at the end of the aisle for him. That's how he views you. But do we view Jesus as the same thing? Is he the one that we're waiting for in the end? Some of us will never get married. You just won't. Katie said it a couple weeks ago. The goal is not marriage. Obedience, the goal of it is not marriage. It's intimacy with Jesus. He is at the end of the aisle. If Jesus is the center of your life, if he's your integration point, if he's the thing that everything wraps around, then That whole thing about not getting married isn't going to crush you. You'll be able to thrive, actually, being single. No matter what the world says about how you're only somebody if you have somebody. Sorry, Demi Lovato. Actually, she's right. You are only someone if you have someone. If you have him, you are someone. If you don't have him, you'll never have enough. Jesus has to be the center point. I actually had a bunch of points, and I was like, oh, yeah, those points are cool, but this was really the only point that mattered. It was the only thing I really wanted you to take from tonight. Is Jesus at the end of the aisle for you? Is he the center? Is he where you are grounded? I was so grateful for Katie because what she did for me was she helped me to see that Jesus could be the center of my life, and that could be enough. 
I had mentioned that I was in compromised relationship. Katie didn't judge me. She didn't hang it over my head. She just kept pushing me back to Jesus. Our relationship started with Jesus as the center, and it was the most steady relationship that I've ever had with a girl in my life. And we actually didn't date for two and a half years. We didn't even think about dating. We literally didn't think about it. It was just people would bring it up and we'd be like, oh, no, Katie's, Katie's awesome. She's doing her thing over there. Like, it just didn't come up in my mind because Jesus was who we were running hard after. And he was the one who was, he was the one at the end of the aisle for us. Man, if you get anything tonight, I hope you get that. Let Jesus be at the end of the aisle for you. I'll pray the band can come. Lord God, some of us will get married, and some of us won't. That doesn't really matter that much, Lord. What does matter, Lord, is who you are to us, whether we are centered in you. Help us all, Lord, to be centered in you. Help us all, Lord God, to be, to be people who have a great desire for you so that we can say with King David, one thing have I desired, Lord, is you. Let us be people who have determined to know nothing else except you, Jesus. You, you, Jesus. You and you crucified. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. We praise you tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.